Hey, I'm Dawn Scott Damon, your freedom coach, and I'm fiercely passionate about helping you become an empowered woman. As a life coach, author, pastor, emotional and spiritual wellness advocate, I'm here to help you realize your true dreams, craft your master plan, and coach you to fulfill it with ferocious execution. As a survivor of childhood trauma, I know what it takes to overcome obstacles, fears, and insecurities, and I'm here to help you do the same. But I don't do it alone. I bring the sisterhood on to share their journey in this mad voyage called life so that you can glean from the boldest, bravest, and grittiest adventurous who are living out their dreams. Join us. Today's show is sure to change your life. So stay tuned because it's... Join the Freedom Girls Sisterhood with your Freedom Coach, John Scott Damon. Radio. It's time to join Freedom Girls Sisterhood with your Freedom Coach, Don Scott Damon. Well, welcome everybody. This is Don Scott Damon. I am your Freedom Coach, and you're listening to the Freedom Girls Sisterhood podcast, a show in which we are women helping women live a full, fierce, and free life. And I'm so glad that you're with us today. Hey, today we've got on a very special guest. Her name is Melanie Pickett. She's a domestic violence survivor and a chronic illness advocate. She shares her experiences to educate and offer hope to others. And just having lived through a 15-year abusive marriage that almost resulted in her death, Melanie feels that God has given her a second chance. And she's a voice now to encourage survivors in their journey Melanie has a blog as well as she contributes to several others. And I hear she's currently writing her first book. So you're going to hear more about all of that. But I want you to give a big sisterhood welcome to Melanie. Hey, Melanie. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you. I can't, I can't think of a better moment than this I'm having. I'm staring out the window. The sun is out. The water is blue. It's very refreshing. And we get to talk to the sisters today about a very important subject. So, yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, you know, I've been reading a lot about you. I understand that uh, you're also in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I wasn't aware of that in the beginning. So we're sisters yeah. on a couple of different fronts. <clears throat> oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about your story. We just heard about it in the introduction and I almost interrupted myself. I'm thinking, man, you were in a 15 year situation, a relationship that was very violent, lots of domestic violence. I imagine that goes with it is some mental illness games that can be played as well. So I wonder about how you survived domestic violence, how you had to rebuild your worth in Christ or your, your self-esteem. How did you rebuild your life? Tell us a little bit about your story. Okay. Um, well, like you said, I was in, a, I was actually married for 15 years to my first husband. He's also, um, the biological father of my two children. Um, and as I would say, probably most domestic violence situations, it didn't start out that way, um, you know, and that's kind of how you get sucked in, so to speak. Mm. Um, you don't know the you don't know the person. They put up that a different face, and then when you're deeper into the relationship, you know, or 
situations present themselves. Like in, in our case, I, I feel like he didn't have any coping skills. So as life always does, it things got stressful or finances and things like that. His true self started to unfold. He didn't mm-hmm. cope well with things. Um, and it started slowly um, with, like you said, you know, mind games, um, sort of backhanded insults, and then, you know, so escalated to much more devastating verbal abuse, emotional abuse, that eventually led to physical abuse. Um, And we, like I said, we have two children. And, you know, the the final piece of the story, I mean, um, was a very tragic and traumatic day. He, um, like you mentioned, there's Uh, definitely a mental illness component there. He was never diagnosed with anything, but it was clear that he was a narcissist, had probably some depression component, self-hatred things, things I'll never know. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, but he, um, I I can only describe it as maybe a psychotic break. I don't know. Um, We'll never know. This this side of heaven, I may never know, but um, he actually um, was not supposed to be in, in the home, our home. He, had essentially we were estranged I guess you'd say by his choice oddly enough but um Mm -hmm. and he was actually supposed to be out of town things had turned very volatile on his part and it was a little frightening um to say the least and he was supposed to be out of town and long story short I took my kids to school this morning that that particular morning as I always did and you know I'm telling you in hindsight now not, you know, things I didn't know on this day, but he had, mm-hmm. um, we lived out in the country. He had parked his vehicle um, down the road. I had no idea that he was in the county, much less in my house. And mm-hmm. he um, was in our house, but, you know, I got in um, the house and was just starting my day and uh, turned around and he was literally like a movie sitting in a dark corner. And um, he oh, had a, a gun and he, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be brief, I guess. So I don't want to be graphic. You know, I don't want to mm-hmm. be a trigger to anyone else in the audience, your audience. But um, he essentially, he tied me up and very brutally sexually assaulted me um, at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. And then he took his own life in front of me oh, with goodness. the gun that day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a, you know, thank God my children were at school yes. for starters, but, um, mm. you know, that day was horrible and it was kind of a curtain that came down between a life of abuse and then a life of, like you said, rebuilding. And, you know, yes. that day was definitely the biggest trauma, but there was trauma that occurred in smaller bites leading up to there, you know, from the abuse. So there's more more to heal from than that day, but that was the explosive day, of course. Yes. I mean, all of along the way you're saying, and I don't know how long the journey was. Well, I guess you did say it was a 15 year journey, but it didn't start out that way. Of course it never does. Mm -hmm. And uh, oftentimes the sir, excuse me, the abuser can look very charming, is very charming, very loving, maybe even gregarious outgoing. Some people will say, Oh no, not him. He couldn't do that. He wouldn't do that. Many oftentimes survivors aren't even believed. But as you're in this journey, 
what was the first event that gave you a sense to know, okay, this is, this is not going away. This wasn't, oh, I'm sorry, I had a bad day or I'm under a lot of stress. This is, I'm married to a domestic violence perpetrator. Um, and I, something comes to mind when you ask that. And I can say, I can say a specific event only because somebody said it to me okay. that I was the one, the one and only person I confided in, but it was just a, a realization. Um, uh, it, it had been going on for quite a while before this particular event. It was, um, he, you know, he was a narcissist and never took, um, responsibility for anything in this particular day. Yeah. Hey, um, tell us. Not even- Tell us too, as you're talking about that, someone listening may or may not know what a narcissist is. So I want to hear okay. the story, but tell us what your definition is. How did that manifest? What Talk about narcissism just for a second. Yeah. Well, in my experience, I mean, I don't have a textbook diagnosis, but in my practical experience was, um, you know, everything was about him. Um, for example, if I had a stomach ache, he had an appendicitis, not literally, but mm-hmm. you know, nobody could ever be, he had to be the center of attention. If you worked hard, he worked harder mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, if, if, you know, everything yes. that he did was monumental, even if it was washing one dish, uh, I mean, I'm not ke- exaggerating yeah. at all, yeah. uh, but even in this situation that, um, I'm talking about was just like no account, no personal accountability um, he had misplaced his keys for work and he was looking and looking for them. And then it escalated into screaming and it's my fault. And I, where did I hide his keys? The keys that I never touched. So I'm scrambling around the house, obviously upset, being sworn at and, you know, completely not a normal situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, scram- looking everywhere, places that keys would never have been, but just right. trying to find them and panicked and, scared and um I and he's got his coat on and ready to go out the door and I said did you check your pocket and sure enough they're in his pocket that you know yeah and he says well why did you put them there Mm. of course I didn't put them there you put them there when you took them out of the ignition last time but I mean that's a a really bizarre example but I mean it really is at the core of it literally no no, per, no accountability. I couldn't possibly have done anything wrong. So not taking right. credit for anything that they do wrong, but he would like to take credit for everything that was right, even if he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I guess is a, you know, a perfect example of, um, and, and, and to that end of that particular situation, he ended up taking those keys that night. And as he was walking out the door, put him in his, hand like you know sometimes we ladies are taught to put him in between your fingers as a weapon yes. if someone's coming at you you know and he took him and he raked him across my forehead mm. and I just re- and then he left you know left and went to work he worked nights and I ran into the bathroom you know my kids were young they were playing in a different room pretty much unaware of what happened definitely unaware of that piece and um, I cried in the, I locked myself in the bathroom. They were perfectly safe, just watching the show. But, mm-hmm. um, and I called, I called our pastor and um, I, I just didn't know what to do. I'm like, it was kind of a punch in the head almost yeah. literally. And 
just so upsetting and so demeaning. And he said, you are a battered wife, you know, and he gave me some, we didn't have any physical resources where we lived at the time. It was a very small town, no shelters. Um, he gave, you know, advised reading material and that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, but that was the first time that I really, um, kind of came in touch with that reality that mm-hmm. this is who I'm living with. Um, you yes. know, and mm-hmm. of course things didn't get any better after that, but you know. Right. But that's when you kind of, you had that aha moment and it, it sounds like your pastor gave you the ability to put some vocabulary to what you were experiencing when you said you are a battered wife and then you yeah. could recognize it. How many maybe you don't know this, but how many women do you think are living in this kind of situation on a day-to-day basis? And I just wondered about that during COVID too, what, what a household Mm -hmm. where there's domestic violence, what that might be looking like right about now. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know a number and I wish I would have had a statistic um, to say, you know, in our country, but I, I know it's huge. And I know just reading the news, you know, uh, for a while there, it was weekly that we would hear of family annihilators, men who, and it's not always men who's the abuser, but I think by and large it is, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that they had completely killed their entire families. And, Mm. um, it's, we live in a different community now and it's happened here. Um, where the spouse or the, you know, estranged couple where he's killed the wife and himself. Um, and it's just, you know, uh, it's interesting to note that we now live in one of the, one a county in Michigan. We actually are outside GR. So we're okay. in a neighboring county. Okay. Um, Muskegon County. And it's one of the largest, co- one of the worst counties for domestic violence in the state. I'm told. Mm. And I said to my new husband, well, of course, that's where God would move me, you know, because I'm like, I can, I can be of help here. And um, I do teach a class at one of the shelters here when we're not in the midst of a pandemic. And um, so uh, that's on hold right now. But sure, this is exactly what we talk about. So I can tell you that in this county, it is rampant and these lovely women not all have escaped domestic violence situations, but I would say the vast majority by far have a story similar to share. Mm, Wow. So take us back to that day. Your husband has committed suicide in front of you. You have just been traumatically raped, sexually assaulted, and now trauma. I have a clue that you moved forward because you do talk about your new husband and your ministry work. How did you make it from that day to the days ahead? You had to tell your children. You had to, I mean, take us back and tell us a few points about walking out of that scenario. Okay. Well, yeah, it was definitely, you know, I went from there to a clinic for a rape kit. I mean, it's, just like you see on TV and in in some ways that you never think um, that that's going to be you or you're someone in your town. But, um, you know, we, I mean, that day and the days following was kind of like a a bubble. Like, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. you're, you're doing the things, but I I mean, I guess that would be kind of autopilot. I feel like 
Um, I remember our pastor saying to me, standing in the, the, his office at the church, uh, my parents had already passed away by then, but my siblings and my best friend just came around us. We had a great church family. And he said, how do you, he knew everything, our pastor. And he's like, um, how do you want to have a funeral? You know, knowing mm. like, this is not typical. And I said, we have to do this for my kids. They don't know. Mm-hmm. They knew he had passed away. They were nine and uh, 13 at the time. Oh, goodness. So, you know, they, when I look back at those pictures, I really realized just how little and how young they were. But yeah. um, I had, they know everything now, but the, now they're 18 and 22 and they know everything okay. now. But sure. I had to tell them when I felt they could handle it and when I could handle telling them. But yes. Um, we just were enveloped by um, a great com- little community. Our church, you know, we, I had a very different, we never spent another night in our house. Um, our church just came together, strangers, um, packed up our, our house, stored some things. Um, we lived with my brother who lived down the road for a couple of months, just trying to find our feet and mm-hmm. finish the school year and those kinds of things. And, um, so the first probably month or so is just details. I mean, it, it was very easy to be distracted. My kids were surrounded by friends and, you know, that, that honeymoon period, so to speak, where everybody sticks around you yes, before they uh-huh. go back to their lives, you know? Right. And um, so we were able to get into a little rental home and God just placed the best neighbors right there too. Can't even tell you how he just showed up you know, and in yes. a time when we were almost literally on our knees, you know, it's just mm-hmm. suddenly you're, you're a widow, you're a single mom, you're the only income, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was hard. <laughs> Sometimes it's still hard, you know, we still have residual effects and some PTSD. Sure. And, um, but I can just say there were very dark, dark days, dark weeks, months, but um, it when people say, how did you get through that? It, to me, it's just a two word answer. It's only God. I mean, it was literally um, mm-hmm. just him. It was all him. You know, yes. there were times when I was in so much pain that I was just begging him to just take it away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know now that that was a necessary thing, that pain and walking through that was, um, I never want to ever do it again. But it was a very valuable time, especially because of the nature of what happened. Um, Me having to kind of rebuild myself and get myself into a place of strength where I didn't rely on a man. You know, I was relying on God and I had to like, I get down and dirty with him and make sure that I never, ever allowed myself to be in a situation like that again. Like he he completely spared me. God did, you know, I absolutely believe that, that he, um, you know, just saved me from that situation because that very easily could have, mm-hmm. I could have died that day. You know I mean? When I, Oh yeah. You God. know, we, we don't, we'll never know. Did he intend to kill me? I mean, he had a loaded gun to my neck. So, um, mm. at any moment it could have gone off on purpose or accidentally. And I just, absolutely am grateful that my kids are not orphans you know that I'm here yes. um, you know and he saved us but 
every day was a step in the right direction. You know, sometimes it was just taking one step. It's all you could do was mm-hmm. just breathe a prayer, just help. But, um, you know, he never left us and he always mm-hmm. seemed to just put the right person in the right place at the right time for whatever we needed that day. It's so important. You know, whether, yeah. You know what you're saying right now for the, the people who are listening, women, probably most likely more than men, but some men do listen too. But what you're saying, because sometimes we just have this religious relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we don't have that deep personal knowing of who he is. And in a time of crisis and one of the dimension that you've experienced, I can't even begin to, I, I can understand why you say, I don't ever, don't get me wrong, God, I never want to go through this again. I mean, I'm glad that I learned what I learned, but I never, you can't fathom even going through it once. But it's so important that people hear that, that the Lord Jesus Christ is a living reality, that God came into your life. I'm hearing you say he gave you the grace, the power, the ability, the, the, the comfort that he spoke to you, gave you. He rallied the people. I'm proud of the church of Jesus Christ, that the church stood up and, and took care of you, that yeah. you were supported. But mostly in those quiet hours, whenever that grief would wash over you, that the Lord was there for you. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Oh, exactly. Exactly that, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like the nighttime, you know, the nighttime mm-hmm. is when it always gets you right. When people, the phone right. calls, and nobody's checking on you and your kids are tucked safely in bed and then it's just you and your your grief and your situation and you know Mm -hmm. grieving a lot of things I mean it was hard to grieve the loss of him because of what he had done yes um but you're grieving that relationship and the loss of what you you know hoping he would change Mm -hmm. and loss of a not necessarily a lifestyle but the home that we lived in we had bought my my uh, grandparent, my grandpa was born in that house. And mm. so now the loving, wonderful memories of growing up there and my kids having some growing up years there was all muddied. And now it's a place of great panic and anxiety for me still. Yes. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely he was there in those hours and in, in every hour. But it, when it was just me and him, I mean, I would talk to him. I would write letters to God, you know, Mm-hmm. just trying to get that out. And, um, he, he never left us, you know, he promises that he will never leave us. And he was there in every aspect and the people that showed up and the friends that came to take my kids for ice cream and the, I don't want to get, I don't want to cry, but in the men from the church who came to my tiny little son's baseball games and mm-hmm. booted him on and built him up you know, and things like that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, they were the hands and feet and he was just, God was just everywhere. He still is. It's beautiful. So now you talking about a new chapter of life. I don't know how long ago was this, but you're helping other women now. How are you doing that? Are you helping men and women? Um, in our rescue mission, actually, it's a women, the women's side, but sometimes there are men in there because it's also the family side. It's uh, a shelter. Um, so it's kind of interesting when we do get a guy in there because you get a different perspective, which is great. But, um, yeah, I teach, a, like I said, a class, a weekly class. Mm-hmm. Um, 
about healthy relationships. So we just pretty much, I, you know, we're all, we're all adult women there. So um, I like it to be casual and their stories are guarded and I want them to feel comfortable if they have something going on that day or that it's not always just me talking at them, you know, that we're sharing about all aspects of relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, with men, with, you know, a coworker, whatever it is that, you know, because that's what it boils down to is really, you know, I was raised in a Christian home, a wonderful family, wonderful parents, but somewhere along the way, I didn't pick up how valuable I was and how important and, you know, how priceless I was in the eyes of Christ, you know, that's who he made me to be. And I didn't have that um, self-esteem and value in myself. So when a man wasn't valuing me, you know, I didn't do anything to change it per se. Mm-hmm. Right. If like somehow that's all you felt you were worthy of, or that was, you know, just be thankful. Somebody loves you. Somebody chose you or somebody, you know, I don't know how it felt for you, but I remember that was certainly how I felt at one time, you know, it was like, well, he likes you. So I guess that's that, that's who you get. Yeah. And I just didn't have any sense of value or or even identity for that matter. It's just kind of floating through life. But so, yeah. yeah. So you have so much to and share. Then, Go ahead. Well, I say, and, and abusers really, I mean, if I would had been a great outspoken, confident girl, I don't think he would have been interested in me. You know, oh. I was more timid and um, always been sweet and kind and all that and given everybody second and third chances, which you know, was perfect for someone who has that penchant for abuse. You know, all those things are already in him, I believe. So, um, you know, there were red flags in the dating relationship that I was just too naive to to Mm -hmm. see, but, um, you know, it happened and I have my kids from it. And um, I can say that it was a very long learning experience, but, Mm. you know, God has, Put us in a much better place now so regardless of what happened um he was there for us and has you know made good out of bad yes well to god be the glory for all of that yes. so what would you tell someone listening today maybe they're in a domestic violence situation they're hearing this today they can completely understand what you're saying and their heart is you know pumping in their chest right now and they're thinking what what do i do what could you offer them today? Uh, Well, first of all, I would tell them that they are not unique. You know, I thought I was unique and nobody understood and, you know, and I didn't share and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that you will be believed and that there are so many more of so many more of me out here that will understand. And I would urge them to find someone that they can confide in a sister, their parent a coworker, someone that they can safely confide in and start to seek help. You know, it's dangerous to leave, but I also would never want that to be a deterrent. You have to just find a safe way to do that, to get yourself and your children, if you have them, to safety. There are tons of resources, um, in, you know, the National Domestic Violence website, and they have a, a quick click away, you know, so if their abuser were to come up on there, a quick way to click off, you know, so they don't get caught. I mean, that's horrible to think of, but it's reality. Mm-hmm. But I would just tell them that there is hope that the 
the lies that you're being told that no one will ever love you again, that you can't survive without them. I've heard it all. And I'm here to tell you that you're, you're strong. I mean, to be survive and be in a domestic violence situation is not for the weak. You are yeah. strong because you are living with this every single day and you are keeping yourself and your children alive. So mm -hmm. you can survive this. And there are resources, even if you live in a small town like I did, I mean, I know of them now, but I didn't then. Um, just reach out a pastor, even if it's not your pastor, if you don't go to church, I mean, they will have access to resources and start to help you put a plan in place to get yourself to safety. Even if you're giving up a lifestyle, it's better than giving up your life. Mm, yeah. That's you know, so, so powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know it's scary to start, you know, and, and a lot of times women have no access to money, you know, cause it's all about control at the end of the day, the abuser wants that total control. So it is scary to think that you might be leaving with the clothes on your back, but mm -hmm. um, it won't be that way forever. You know, there, like I said, there are so many resources that will help you, but that's literally what they're there for is to help people in those situations. Yes. Amen. So if you're hearing this today, make sure you do that. Reach out and we're going to put some of those resources in the notes today for the show. But talk to someone, tell someone, reach out. Uh, Melanie, could, how could they find you if they'd like to uh, get a hold of you? I think uh, you've got a few social media contacts here, right? Yes, I do. I have my blog. I'm, I'm Melanie S. Pickett everywhere on Twitter, on Instagram, on my blog. You can um, even email me on melaniespickett at gmail.com. Um, I always welcome people to message me privately if you need to talk if you can help you with resources if you just need to be heard you know i i guard your stories i don't share them your secrets are safe with me so to speak um i know that if i'd had that just one person that i felt that i could trust and sometimes it's easier to tell a stranger right because they don't know right. where you live they're not going to run into you at the grocery store and i and i have had women from around the world message me and they know that that even if I can't come and physically help them that I can hear them and sometimes that makes a world of difference so I really am sincere when I say message me if I can help even if it's just to listen yes you heard it she's there she's wants wants to listen wants to be available to you Melanie before I let you go you you raise another question in my mind you talked about, you know, it's not easy to leave these situations. Were you able to leave right away? Did it take time for you to leave to get the courage up? Or was it kind of a decision? How did that happen for you? Well, I didn't leave. Um, he actually, like I mentioned at the beginning, we were sort of estranged. He, yeah. One of his methods of control was if I didn't comply with something he wanted, that he would leave. Okay. And it was for a couple of hours because I had always begged him back to come home. You know, he would threaten different things and um, like he'd take me off his health insurance. You know, I have chronic illnesses. So mm -hmm. now that doesn't terrify me because I know reality. But then everything was terrifying. Um, and in a nutshell, he had left like a week before the day that he passed away. Um, and I didn't beg him back. So it just mm -hmm. kind of escalated. I don't know. Um, 
I didn't feel strong. My therapist later after this said he needed you to be weak. And the one time you were strong, he couldn't handle it. I didn't feel strong. I just felt kind of like finally God clicking in. And that was me, not God. He was always there, but it just felt like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just can't beg him back. And I remember just telling God, I don't, I don't care if we lose this house, whatever, just as long as I have my kids. And I didn't file for divorce. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I just kept on doing our daily activities. And he was actually finishing um, a degree at the time. Um, He passed away 10 days before and my kids posthumously, you know, got his posthumous degree, accepted that for him. But, um, um, Mm. you know, I just kept trying to tell him as he was coming at me with all sorts of hatred through text and such, just let's just put this on the back burner. Nothing's happening. Just finish your degree, get some counseling. You know, I just tried mm-hmm. to kept continually just, that was my mantra towards him to try to diffuse the situation, diffuse it. And it didn't work. And it escalated to what he did that day. He was supposed to be out of town. We actually saw him the day before he died. He came to church, said, I'm going to be gone for three days. He was doing a clinical rotation for that uh, degree I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And so we thought he was gone for three days and he came home and, and, you know, just everything. He had a plan. He had a plan that day mm-hmm. to do this. It seems from what we know in hindsight. So I never did leave. I always prayed that God would fix him. Mm-hmm. You know, it took me all of that time and this happening for me to realize that, you know, he had to acknowledge what was broken in him and seek that help. And he never could do that. So it ended up costing him his life, essentially, you know, succumbing to whatever was in him that allowed him to do this. Mm -hmm. A tragic ending to the story. And, you know, had he reached out to God and gotten that help, perhaps a different ending, but God's been good to you. And I'm so thankful for that. And as we were talking earlier, I just quick Googled, it is one in four women that have experienced Mm. domestic violence by a spouse or a boyfriend. Seven million children live in families in which severe partner violence is occurring. And almost 500 women are raped or sexually assaulted each day in the United States. And those are just the ones we know about, right? You know, the ones that that have reported or mm-hmm. so yeah and yeah. i and like you had mentioned i have worried about that um during the pandemic where these children aren't going to school which might be their happy place they're getting you know mm-hmm. where they get a break from the domestic violence or the fighting and um the tensions that must be mounting as jobs are lost and pensions or whatever's happening I, I worried about that right away. I'm like, this is not going to be good because mm-hmm. w- whether the women are staying at home or they've lost job, you know, none of this has been uh, stress-free for anybody, I don't right. think. And I, I really worried about that too. Mm. Well, I just, again, when I encourage people, anyone listening to reach out and get help, I'm so thankful that God rescued you, but, yeah. You would probably advise women, don't wait for that. Don't wait for that ending. Re- reach out, talk to someone, tell someone, share your story. 
there's a lot of confidential places that you can go to. I know the WY, yeah. Yeah, the YWCA is um, a partner for domestic violence. And as you mentioned, the national, what's it called again? The national um, domestic, uh, domestic violence. violence hotline. Yeah. And yes. there's a website. And I would guess that most of these sites that are geared, you know, designed for domestic violence victims have that like um, exit button. I can't say, I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what it's mm-hmm. called, but it's like I said, you can exit quickly or it goes to like something completely out. So it's not detectable because, you know, that could cause someone problems if they're yeah, absolutely. looking at that. So, mm-hmm. you know, they have all the precautions in place. They want you to be safe too. They want you to be safe and, and they're yep. not just giving word service. They will not just lip service, yep. but you will indeed find help. Melanie, thank you so much for being on today. I'm so thankful. Well, thank you for having me. Yes. Yeah, thank and you. It's beautiful to see how God is rebuilding your life and the lives of your children. And yes. um, thanks for sharing your story. This is going to help a lot of people. There's a lot of people who I need to know so. that, yeah, yes. that, and that there's hope, right? There's hope after something yes, like this. There definitely is. Yes. And life Absolutely. can be beautiful again. So. We thank you very much. Remember, this is Dawn Scott Damon, your freedom coach, and I am reminding you that it indeed is freedom time. We'll see you next time. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Freedom Girls Sisterhood. Like us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and review us. And if you'd like to leave us a note, find us on the Freedom Girls Sisterhood Facebook page or any social media at Dawn Scott Damon. As always, live a fierce, full, and free life because it's freedom time.